This is Cultural Quarter of an Hour and I'm Charlotte Foster. Every week we will be exploring the culture of Stoke-on-Trent and the surrounding area. Some weeks I'll be visiting events, other weeks I'll be looking back at our history, but always with an eye on the future. And you'll also hear the stories of the people who make this area just what it is. Culture is all around us. It's in the buildings, it's deep underground, it's in the air, and of course, it's in our blood. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. Hope you are well. This week's podcast is actually a two-parter. So you're going to get the first part this week and the second part next week. Now, if you're particularly cynical, you might think I've done this because I'm away this week. Please don't burgle my house. Um, But that's not the case at all. It's actually because um, this week I've been sitting down with Stephen Seabridge. He is the first Poet Laureate of Stoke-on-Trent. And we spoke for two hours almost. Don't worry, I didn't have to edit two hours worth of interview, but the interview we did was around half an hour. And I thought, you know what, rather than trying to get rid of half of the stuff, because all of it was really interesting. I mean, we were there talking for two hours. We had a lot to talk about. So here it is. It's going to be in two parts. You get the first part this week, second part next week, because this is all worth hearing. So here it is, my conversation with Stephen Seabridge, the first Poet Laureate of Stoke-on-Trent. And I began by asking him what it's like to be that first Poet Laureate. Oh, I have to be careful now because I don't want to be seen as too cocky about it. But no, it it does feel brilliant because it's not just, it's not just an achievement for me, like for the city to get to this point of having a Laureate. I mean, if you thought before, the culture bit, you know, the big C, about a year and a half ago. I wouldn't have thought it would have been possible. But no, it does feel quite gratifying as well, particularly for my work in poetry, the, the art that I do. But also, I don't know, I went through a time where I thought, is this really what I want to do with my life? Sit here writing these words every day and not really knowing where they're going. And then, yeah, I got this, and that's just kind of, that feeling's disappeared now. Um, the first is, it's an odd situation because... I think you do feel that pressure of being the first one, but you also feel that need to be the first as well as the kind of the best, you know what I mean, the best that it could possibly be. And I've been very open with the steering group that run the Laureate. When I when I do hand over to the second, it's going to be a glorious occasion for that person, but I want them to be thinking, oh, Steve, where have you gone? You know, I mean, not, not making any comparisons or anything, but um, no, it, it is, it's enormous kind of gratification enormous pressure but a good kind of pressure and everything that I've kind of always thought poetry should be I mean a laureate I mean do you want me to say what I I think it means yeah I was about to ask you what what does a laureate do what does it what does it mean so there is a kind of official like a definition which just means representative uh, or voice of a certain thing so of poetry or of artists arts or uh, wherever else it could be but there's also um if you look at the the meaning of the word laureate it goes back to the word honor in ancient greek so it's somebody who is honored with something with a crown of laurels that was the traditional um kind of 
costume that this person would be ordained with. You've left um, yours at home today. I have, yeah, I haven't got my, my crown of leaves. It's just slowly rotting on the desk at home. No, I did get an Emma Bridgewater plate. That was, that, I suppose that was my crown of uh, laurels wanted because it said uh, it's got my name on and then it's got Poet Laureate 2018 to 2020 on there. But it also means it's got like a link back to the, the laurel tree, which is a symbol of growth. So if you think of growth, not only on my part, I'm growing as a laureate, but the people I encounter as well, they're growing too, I suppose. So what does, what does your role actually involve then as a poet laureate? Um, a variety of things. So when I applied, there was talk of commissions and then there was talk of workshops, but it's, it's gone beyond those. There has been a few commissions. There's been a, the Commission for the Middleport Pottery, uh, 1418 now weeping window and there's been a commission that I've just finished for the Armistice Day centenary but I've been getting into schools doing a lot of public speaking at uh, conferences which I didn't expect I didn't think conferences would be um, on the table but I've been invited to those it, variety is the word for it though because anything that you can imagine poet, where poetry might be if that's open mics if that's performances if it's teaching if it's I don't know even just the kind of rudimentary starting skills building for people who might not have encountered it before. Um, all, the, all those things are contained, but I suppose it's been a period of constant surprise because I find myself every other week doing things that I think, I've never done this before, but this is absolutely amazing. Like I did the, um, I did the roundabout for Appetite and it was absolutely crazy. It was amazing, you know, and, it, and the, I, I couldn't believe that I was in there doing this cabaret show with all these other other artists that, yeah, it was, the work that I do is very different to them, but it all seemed to fit together. Um, but also, I mean, I quite, as you can tell, I like talking, uh, I quite like the public speaking element of it and just talking about poetry and kind of breaking down those attitudes that we've got towards it. So I suppose when people become laureates, there is no way of defining what it is. It's what you kind of make of it. So mine is a laureate of variety at the minute. Lots of variety and lots of lack of sleep. <laughs> nobody actually needs sleep, no, though, do they? It has trained me, though, to have a much better routine. I mean, I think before the laureate, I was, I, I was quite organised, but now I'm, like, the most super-organised person in the world because I have to be, because if I'm not, like, it's it just... It just wouldn't work, you know, because if I've got three events in one day, I've got to make sure that they are timed and packaged correctly and that I can get from them quickly. And like even car parking, you have to be really organised about your car parking, something that you probably wouldn't have thought about before. So, yeah, it's made me quite militant about being organised as well. You realise the title of the podcast is It's Made Me Think About My Car Parking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, quite that one. Uh, But it does, it makes you think about the things that maybe you thought you were good at before. Like, I've always thought I was good at public speaking because I quite like it. I quite like having a... I quite like talking to a crowd. But I don't know, when I started this, I thought, yeah, I, I need to do this all the time now. And that, that is quite nerve-wracking. But I thought I was really organised and I'm now super organised. I look back to the old Stephen before this started and I think, you were slovenly and you could have you done better, you know. You could have been more organised. But it, no, it has, it has been... 
it's been, I can't put it into words if I'm honest with you. It's, bit, it's not very good for a podcast, is it? Not being able to put it into words. But it, or a poet. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, I mean, well, a, a poem is kind of dancing about. You're, you're putting things into words, but you're also avoid, avoiding that at the same time because you're not talking directly. So there, there, there's, there's my uh, there's my get-out clause for that there. Um, but, yeah, it has been... It's just been so strange, but so amazingly strange. And it does evade definition because I think I might wake up one day and think, yeah, this is what the laureate is. So I can, and I can put it into this, these categories. And then I'll do something that completely changes those perceptions again. I've had no negatives. I mean, that's a real famous last words. And as soon as this goes out, something will happen. Uh, but I have, I've had constant support from all sides as well. And any event that I've done has just been... I don't know, I mean, I know organisations can sometimes be a bit, uh, what's the word, um, what's the what's the diplomatic word? Not as organised as me, is that is that is that the one? But, we'll go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that one. But um, no, it's just been absolutely like a dream. And I don't mean to be all sappy and be all, oh God, this is all amazing. But like a kind of really surreal dream where everything seems to go well in the end. And that's quite nice. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. I, I quite, you know, I didn't know I was going to say that, but it is, and it's um, like I said before. I've always, I understand the need for poets to be published, and I understand the need for poets to be on pages and to make sure their words are reaching a, a kind of mainstream, conventional audience. I understand that need, but I don't understand it when poets aren't concerned with the public element. So I've always been one that wants to read to people because I, I kind of write poetry that embodies the voices of particular people in this area anyway. And I don't understand perhaps when poetry is just on the page and then, and then left there. So it's a, this laureate role, it twigs with everything that I imagine poetry should be because poetry is a spoken form and a written form. It's, it's neither, neither is really comparable to the other, but it should exist in a public domain. Especially if you're in a city and you are writing about that city or for that city, the people of that city should hear those words. It wouldn't make sense, would it, to just kind of hide them away on a computer and never speak about them again. But there should be the option for, you know, if poems are written about particular people, that those particular people have a say on that poetry and, ha- and are able to feed back to it as well. Um, so, yeah, it does seem to just pair so well with my ethos and what I've thought poetry is for a long time. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be massively published. I don't think anybody's going to turn that down, are they? You know, no one's going to avoid selling the soul to the devil. But um, I, 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 I think I would hope that if I got really you know, quite widely published, I would still keep that public element really strong. Because what's the point otherwise, you know? What's the point in not having an audience or not having not having a good heckle? You know? <laughs> Go on then, what's the best heckle you've had? Um, I, I did actually make a mistake in one of the one of the poems. I, I misread one of the towns and someone was like, Fenton! You know, because I'd skipped that one and it was like, oh dear, you know, sorry. You I missed out I, I Fenton. Know, I, I didn't mean to. It was just a slipped up on the line, but it wasn't intentional. It wasn't the poem's fault. It was just my fault reading on the day. But those things happen, and they're, they're, they're quite good when they happen because you get a, a kind of gist of audiences' personalities as well. And then they come up to you afterwards and they say, they just have a joke with you, you know. And you do have to kind of respond to that, you know, quickly, but also realise that most of the time it's not malicious at all. And um, 
Yeah, I, I, um, I try to not make as any mistakes, but usually if I'm reading, say I'm reading five poems, there'll be one every other. But sometimes I've got to the point now where I think, yeah, I've got good at disguising them now. Because there's a good tip in poetry that somebody told me. If you fluff a line, just read the same line again. And then most people won't notice. Obviously, the people who've heard the poem before, they'll go, yeah, I know what he's done there. But most people will go, oh, he's, he's probably just using repetition there. And then we'll forget about it straight away. That is a good uh, tip. It's a good piece of advice. Probably good for, it's probably good for podcasts and radio as well. Any spoken form, just repeat. That is a good yeah. tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go, part one. Part two comes next week where we'll go a little bit more in depth with Stephen, more of a conversation with him, find out all those other little bits that we need to know about everything that's going on in his world. Thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, as always, please do get in touch. Facebook page is cultural quarter of an hour on Facebook and on Twitter it is at CQHpod. And stay tuned for next week's podcast. It will, of course, come out on Wednesday.